This is Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. We don't usually start here, but let's jump up to the Mason-Dixon line for a second and back up like 200 years. Okay, now zoom in on Georgetown University, the oldest Catholic and Jesuit Institute of Higher Learning in the United States. Starting after the War of 1812, Georgetown Jesuits began rethinking their assets, particularly their human property. For over two decades, they debated whether or not they should be slaveholders. By the 1830s, they were leaning towards no and batted around ideas about how to not have slaves anymore. They actually considered emancipating their slaves gradually over a term of years and converting their enslaved people into free and tenant farmers. This is Adam Rothman, a history professor at Georgetown. He was in New Orleans recently for a roundtable on the legacies of Georgetown's ties to slavery. One Jesuit even recommended freeing the slaves and sending them to Liberia, where they could have their own country. Both options were pursued by slaveholders in the early 19th century. But if Georgetown had made either of those moves, it isn't likely that Adam would be sitting at this roundtable in New Orleans, an event titled Sold South. Because, in the end... The Jesuit leadership made a fateful decision to sell virtually the entire slave community to purchasers in Louisiana. They were really killing two birds with one stone by doing this. On the one hand, they were ridding themselves of the burden of slaveholding, the moral, material, and managerial burden of that. And on the other hand, they were going to raise money through the sale to help pay off the debts of institutions like Georgetown College. It was 1838, and Georgetown's bank account was in the dumps. At the time, they didn't charge tuition for ethical reasons. It was really because Jesuits, uh, with our vow of poverty, weren't supposed to have any income. That's Father Matt Carnes. He's a Jesuit at Georgetown and a professor of government. So, yeah, it's uh, that, those sort of competing ethical senses are, are very deep and profound. To relieve themselves of enslaving people and to make what in today's money is $3 million, two Jesuit fathers sold 272 people, a close community of fathers, mothers, and children in Maryland, to two slaveholders in Louisiana. Now, jump ahead to 2015. Georgetown was reopening two dorms that were named after those two slaveholders responsible for the sale. This prompted the president of Georgetown, John J. DeGoya, to write a letter to the community acknowledging this slaveholding history through these buildings, Mullody and McSherry Hall. In this letter, he announced the formation of the Working Group on Slavery, Memory, and Reconciliation. He assembled the group to make recommendations for replacement names for each hall and to help guide the university's ongoing work related to the legacy of slavery. This wasn't news to Georgetown academics who had studied this historic transaction for years. But Adam Rothman says in all those years, major questions have been left out. What happened to those people? What happened to the community that was sold in 1838? The question was just never asked. I'm not sure any of us realized that there could be an easy way to connect with descendants. There's Father Carnes again. That was something that started to emerge from our exploration of the documents and people thinking this through and saying, oh yeah, you know, these descendants are, you know, not that far away. There can be bridges built there. Carnes was part of the working group launched by President DeGoya. The group was made up of five committees, and Carnes was the coordinator of the Ethics and Reconciliation Committee. 
our task was to really consider the ways that uh, reconciliation might be thought about in the context of the, um, the sale, both reconciliation that we might observe here on campus, the ethical ramifications for this particular sale, for the descendants. That's a hefty task. By April 2016, the story of the university's soul-searching was making national news. But something was missing. If the descendants of these 272 enslaved people were being considered, shouldn't they be brought to the table? Karen Harper-Royal says yes. I found out about this through the New York Times article. Karen and her husband are both descendants of the sale. But Georgetown didn't tell him that. She saw it in the news. I had been doing genealogy for my family, and when I saw the name Hawkins in the New York Times and the city Maringouin, I knew that was my husband's family. Karen's husband descends from a man named Isaac Hawkins. And Isaac had a son named Patrick. Patrick had a son named Frank. And my husband descends from Frank. Frank's son, Wally, was my husband's grandmother's father. Her family was put on a ship, they arrived in New Orleans, and then they were divided up into three different plantations owned by a man named Jesse Beatty. I then saw a CBS News report about this story. From July 14, 2016. Good morning. 178 years ago, Georgetown was free to everyone who was able to attend. It was also massively in debt. And it included Sherilyn Branch. Richard Cellini told Branch that her great-great-grandparents, Hillary and Henny, were part of a group of 272 slaves who in 1838 were sold by Georgetown University to three plantations in southern Louisiana, near where Branch and her brother still live. Well, Sherilyn Branch was my PE teacher in the 1970s. You're listening to Tripod, New Orleans at 300. I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Hi, my name is Sherilyn Branch, and I am a descendant of enslaved peoples who were sold in 1838 by Georgetown University and its Jesuits. Sherilyn got a call from the Georgetown Memory Project, the main genealogical effort that's tracing the ancestry of the 272 people that were sold to Louisiana. That's how she found out she was a descendant. You think about the traditions of your family, where you came from, where they came from, what kinds of lives uh, they lived. And for me, it just seems as though that was only two generations back that I could talk about ever. She says if her family ever talked about enduring hard times, they went back to how they survived the Great Depression, but never went further back from that. They just didn't go there. What impact do you think that silence does have on those families, even though they remain close? I believe that there was certain shame. I believe that anybody who feels oppressed may have a feeling that it's their fault, a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of degradation. And so emotionally, I don't know if if my grandmother, because her father was a slave. I don't know how much he talked about it by the time she came along. What Basil must have conveyed to his children. Basil Ford is Sherilyn's great-grandfather. Such that even my grandmother, again, might not have conveyed to us. Basil and his parents, Hillary and Henny, were sold to the Chatham Plantation in Ascension Parish. In an op-ed she wrote for the New York Times, Sherilyn notes that former governor of Louisiana Henry Johnson owned that plantation. 
He bought my ancestors, she wrote. I don't know if there's pride in being enslaved. Karen Harper Royal says this is passed down generationally. She sees this play out in her own family. Who wants to engage in this history and who's like, no, thank you. Slavery was never discussed in my family. Never. Even now talking to some of the elders, one of my husband's uncles don't want to have anything to do with this. Sherilyn says after all these generations, she as a descendant can be the one to muster up pride for her ancestors. We are speaking for them. We are their voices now. That's why Sherilyn and Karen are both part of the same working group, to center the descendant perspective. And they're getting things done. After a successful student protest inspired by similar demands at other universities across the country and the recommendation on behalf of that working group, those two dormitories are being renamed. Here's Father Carnes. We named the, the dormitory Isaac Hall after the first um, slave, Isaac Hawkins, listed on the bill of sale in 1838. The relative of Karen Harper Royal's husband. And then we named the other um, building Anne-Marie Beecraft Hall. Um, Anne-Marie Beecraft was a, a really pioneering young free black woman here in Georgetown neighborhood who in the 1820s and 1830s started and ran a school for free black girls. The working group has also created a digital archive of historical documents, conducted research, connected with descendants, hosted community dialogues and events on and off campus, and they're offering legacy status for descendants who are looking to apply. In other words, preferential treatment in the application process, like what's offered to children of university alums. And I know descendants will probably be applying, and it's a wonderful thing to think that some of them could be coming through that. All this happened in less than two years of Georgetown confronting its history and reckoning with what reconciliation means, looks like, and provides. Now, back at that Sold South roundtable in New Orleans, Georgetown professor Adam Rothman was joined by Cherilyn and another descendant, Sandra Green Thomas, who you'll hear from in part two of this story. In the middle of the discussion, the moderator, Raphael Casimir, a UNO professor and civil rights veteran, asked the question we were all waiting for. Do you think... Georgetown has done enough to right this wrong. Their response and where to go from here, coming up on the next Tripod. Tripod is a production of WWNO New Orleans Public Radio in collaboration with the Historic New Orleans Collection and the University of New Orleans Midlow Center for New Orleans Studies. Special thanks to Evan Christopher for the opening theme music and to Pizza Delicious, offering original New York-style pizzas, house-made pastas, and a rotating seasonal menu for dine-in and delivery. So you can head over to Pizza Delicious on Piety Street and get yours. You can also catch Tripod Thursday mornings during Morning Edition and again on Mondays during All Things Considered. You can also listen to it whenever you want. You can even listen to it as you're going to Pizza Delicious. Uh, if you subscribe to it as a podcast on iTunes. And, and if you do that, you can write it a review. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TripodNola. Don't forget part two of this story. We answer the question, where does Georgetown go from here? Has it done enough? Part two is coming up next week. But until then, I'm Lane Kappen-Levinson, and I'll Tripod you later. Tripod.